chapter 22 of the romance of modern electricity this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org read by prajakta the romance of modern electricity by charles r gibson chapter 22 electricity in the observatory visit to an observatory how the velocity of the wind is recorded continuous record of wind's direction electricity notes time to 1000 of a second far distant earthquakes record themselves in great britain how the apparatus works a missing link in meteorology climbing the hill on which the observatory is situated the visitor has no difficulty in finding the building as it is conspicuous with its large rounded dome which serves as a revolving roof for the large telescope at the side of the building one notices a very tall pole on the top of which a little windmill is spinning round if the visit be made on a fresh spring day when a stiff breeze is blowing one finds the little windmill very busy while on a quiet summer day it may be practically at a standstill it is clear that the faster the wind blows past the windmill the quicker it will revolve and it has been so arranged that 1 km of wind passing will cause the little windmill to turn round 1000 times if we can tell how many thousand revolutions the windmill has made in one hour we know how many kilometers of wind have passed in that time as a kilometer is a little more than half a mile about 6 tenths we know that if there have been 8000 revolutions in an hour then 5 miles of wind have passed and so we speak of there having been a wind of 5 miles per hour of course no one is going to attempt to count the thousands of revolutions performed by the windmill in an hour it is here that electricity comes to the observer's aid two wires laid down from the lofty windmill to the recording instrument placed inside the observatory so that the outdoor apparatus can send signals down to the indoor recorder the little windmill drives a train of wheels so geared that the last little wheel makes only one revolution for every thousand of the windmill and as this little wheel makes an electrical contact which is equivalent to pressing a bell push at the end of each of its complete revolutions the recording instrument receives a signal which indicates 1000 revolutions of the windmill or in other words the passing of about 1/2 mile of wind if the recorder receives 50 signals in 1 hour then the speed of the wind is roughly 25 miles per hour each signal or impulse received causes an electromagnet to move a pen one upward step across a paper carried on a cylinder or drum which makes one complete revolution in 24 hours the paper is marked off in hours so that it can easily be seen at a glance how many upward moves the pen has made 
in an hour and as each step represents 1 km of wind the speed of the wind is radially calculated from the french measure to english miles a storm will record a speed of 50 miles per hour or may even rise as high as 80 miles and i have known the little windmill to spin round to the tune of 90 miles per hour but with a further increase of the gale the little servant deserted his lofty post and was returned the following day to the observatory in several pieces having been found in different quarters of the town by such means a continuous record is taken of the velocity of the wind day and night such instruments are called anemometers from the greek word anemos signifying wind and metron measure a record is also taken electrically of the direction of the wind a little vane on the top of the pole points in the direction from which the wind is blowing and it carries on it a spur or finger which lightly touches a number of little metal studs placed in a circle underneath it there are 16 of these metal studs or contact pieces from each of which a wire runs down to the observatory these represent the 16 cardinal points of the compass north north northeast northeast east northeast east and so on the duty of the vane is to telegraph down to a recording instrument on whichever of these wires it is standing over if the wind be due north then the finger of the vane rests on the end of the wire arranged to represent north inside the observatory the other ends of these 16 wires are fixed in the recording apparatus at the end of every minute a little finger or feeler is made to sweep across these 16 wire ends and the moment it touches the end of the particular wire with which the vane is in contact outside the circuit is completed the current from a battery finds a path to an electromagnet which in turn operates a pen this pen is not normally in contact with the paper but when the magnet receives an impulse it draws the pen sharply against the cylinder and as the pen is carried across the paper along with the feeler the pen is made to mark at the moment the feeler touches the wire upon which the outdoor vane is standing the paper is of course ruled off to represent north north northeast etc it is just as though the vane were supplied with 16 different bell pushes each representing a particular point of the compass and at the end of each minute it presses the button that the wind caused it to point to by the method described a continuous record is taken of the direction of the wind at the end of every minute right throughout the day and night climbing up the stairs in the tower of the observatory till he reaches the dome the visitor finds during the night the astronomer observing some phenomenon in connection with one of the planets
the observer sits there looking through a huge telescope which he calls his equatorial instrument it points to the open slot of the dome and the whole telescope is being very slowly revolved by clockwork in the opposite direction to that in which the earth is turning so that the instrument remains pointing at the heavenly body the visitor notices two wires leading to the clockwork and he is informed that the speed of this motor clock is electrically controlled by the beat of the standard clock situated downstairs in the observatory the observer requires to read the position of his telescope by means of a graduated scale marked around the axis of the instrument the degrees are so minutely marked off and at such a distance from him that it is necessary to read them through a microscope fixed to the side of the telescope all is dark in the dome and yet the observer must have a light to read this scale by a very tiny electric lamp makes a useful little assistant here for when placed close to the scale at the objective of the microscope it illuminates the scale beautifully and sheds no detracting light in the dome yet another pair of wires attract the visitor's attention and these are leading to something which the astronomer holds in his hand it is a contact maker which is the equivalent of an ordinary bell push and from this a pair of wires laid down into the observatory where a chronograph or time recorder is at work the astronomer wishes to record exactly when a certain phenomenon occurs so keeping his eye to the telescope he has merely to press the button of the push which he holds in his hand and the chronograph downstairs will note the exact time to within 1000 of a second before going downstairs to see this chronograph which is so called from the greek words chronos time and grapho i write the visitor remarks that he is surprised to find that the dome requires to be moved round by hand to keep the open slot opposite the telescope having electricity at hand it would be a simple matter to apply a little motor to the wheels of the dome and the motor could either be under the direct control of the observer or it might at times be automatically controlled by the clock driving the telescope round coming down to the chronograph the visitor finds it a rather clumsy affair after the small and compact wind recording instruments there is a large cylinder carrying a sheet of paper wrapped around it the cylinder is slowly revolving by clockwork its speed being electrically controlled from the standard clock a pen moves slowly along the length of the cylinder its motion being exactly like that of the tympanum and stylus of a phonograph so that if the moving pen were left in contact with the revolving paper it would mark a spiral round and round the cylinder from one end to the other the pen is normally not in contact with the paper but at the end of each second of time 
the pen is made to strike against the paper making a small dot the pen is drawn sharply against the paper by an electromagnet which receives an impulse from the standard clock at the end of each second thus the chronograph paper shows a continuous series of equidistant dots on the paper the space between any two dots representing one second the push in the observer's hand away up in the dome is connected by wires to the electromagnet of the pen so that he can also send an impulse and make the pen strike the paper at any desired moment independent of the regular motion given to the pen by a clock thus a mark will be made in between the two dots representing a second by means of a scale the position of this dot may be measured and the time of the phenomenon be correctly found to the 1000th part of a second the astronomer has wires laid to his transit telescope and to any other parts of the observatory from which he may desire to record the exact time of various phenomena to obtain an absolutely accurate fraction of a second it is necessary to take the personal equation into account for some small fraction of time must elapse between the moment the observer sees a star cross the spider's web line in his transit telescope and the instant at which he presses the button of his push to make the signal to the chronograph some observers nerves and muscles will act quicker than will others and so the personal equation of any observer is determined by experiment one astronomical friend tells me that with long practice he is able to split a second up into 10 equal parts getting the beat of the standard clock in his ear he can observe correctly to the 10th part of a second so that the chronograph is only indispensable when a more exact fraction is required or when the observer is working at a point beyond earshot of his standard clock the chronograph has also a wide field of usefulness in timing the speed of projectiles etc on reaching another part of the observatory the visitor is somewhat surprised to learn that earthquakes occurring in all quarters of the world are made to leave their record by means of a small instrument in this room such instruments are called seismographs from the greek words seismos an earthquake and graph i write in order to prevent these being disturbed by any local earth vibrations such as caused by trains passing in the neighborhood etc a deep pit is dug about 20 feet down into the earth then a solid masonry pyre is built up and the seismograph rests on the top of this pyre in this way the instrument is really resting upon the solid earth some 20 feet down and is quite free from any surface disturbance there are two seismographs one for recording far distant earthquakes and the other only replying to local ones the latter instrument looks the much more imposing of the two 
in its large glass case forming a cube of about 6 feet in the center of the case is a large circular glass plate which has been smoked to give it a good black surface upon which a pen point may scratch a line there are three different pens resting on its surface at different parts each of these is connected to a different piece of metal so hung on a stand that it will move with the slightest change of level one weight is so arranged that it will move with any motion from north to south another records any motion from east to west while the third metal weight is hung on spiral springs so that any vertical or up and down motion will be recorded the glass plate upon which these pens are to move to and fro will of course require to revolve in order to take a record of the movements it would not be convenient to keep the plate continually revolving as local earthquakes are fortunately few and far between in this tranquil little island of ours and so it is necessary that the plate be set in motion on the occurrence of an earthquake it is here that electricity comes to the aid of the seismologist the clock for driving the glass plate is left fully wound up but a catch locking into one of the wheels prevents the clock from going so that the plate remains stationary this little catch may be drawn out of position by a small electromagnet so that anyone could start the clock by pressing the button of a bell push connected to a battery in circuit however it is not the intention of any person to wait on indefinitely to set the apparatus in motion at the required time this must be done automatically by the earthquake itself in place of the ordinary bell push in which one wire is pressed against another to complete the circuit there is a different arrangement here the one wire is fastened to a little piece of metal in which a tiny hole is drilled and the other wire hangs down freely in the center of this hole but does not touch the surrounding metal this wire is attached to the bob of a little pendulum which will move with the slightest change of level thus bringing the wire in contact with the metal attached to the other wire the first tremor of an approaching earthquake is sufficient to bring about this contact which is the equivalent of pressing the button of the push it is very important to be able to tell the exact hour at which any earthquake did occur and so another clock with an ordinary time dial is left wound up but held at 12 o'clock by a catch this catch is released by the same current that starts the driving clock and so the time clock begins to go at the first sign of an earthquake and as the clock sets off from 12 o'clock the observer coming to the apparatus later can tell exactly when the earthquake occurred this clock is placed close to the glass plate and is provided with a little pen which makes a small mark on the edge of the revolving plate at the end of each second so that the observer can tell the exact time of any particular moment 
indicated by the traced lines on the plate. I have seen a very good record taken by one of these seismographs in Scotland of an earthquake occurring at a distance of 200 miles. The instrument which records earthquake happening at the other ends of the earth is not electrical and so I will merely mention it in passing. It consists of a very light aluminium boom delicately poised in a horizontal position so that it will swing from right to left by the slightest change of level of the pyre on which the apparatus stands. On the outer end of the boom, there is a thin aluminium plate or shutter having a longitudinal slit in it while the wooden case enclosing the apparatus has a lateral slit. So arranged that the light of a lamp falling through these two slits forms a spot of light on the center of a paper ribbon which is slowly moving along by clockwork. This paper is photographic so that it takes an impression of the spot of light and if the boom carrying a shutter remains perfectly stationary, the light will mark a straight line up the center of the passing paper. Any movement of the boom to right or left will move the pencil of light to one side or the other and in this way the very smallest earth movements are recorded. I have seen excellent records taken in Scotland of the deplorable earthquakes that have occurred in Siberia and the more recent ones in India in each of which many thousands of lives were lost. I have been rather surprised to hear some main, well learned in science suggesting that these seismographs would serve no useful purpose. But may we not hope that these records are the beginning of a line of research which may ultimately enable men to predict seismological disturbances and warn the inhabitants to flee from a threatened area. Many theories have been formed of the cause of earthquakes. None seem to appeal to one's mind as very satisfactory, but these seismographs will doubtless aid in arriving at an understanding of the true nature of these great natural disturbances in this planet of ours. Man has already acquired considerable knowledge in the prediction of storms, of wind and rain, and yet one does not feel enough confidence in weather reports to decide empathetically whether to take an umbrella or a walking stick on one's daily wanderings. Of course, one difficulty is that there is a great variety of weather in different parts of the island at one time, but there is a factor which doubtless takes part in the changes of weather and which I do not think appeals forcibly enough to the meteorologist. There is a continual changing of the electrical condition of the atmosphere and this must have some connection with other atmospheric changes. Lord Kelvin invented an apparatus for recording these changes, but no very definite work seems to have been done with it. The apparatus requires a good deal of attention and I have seen one of these instruments go idle for months for lack of time to attend to it. There exists a very delicate instrument called 
a quadrant electrometer which measures the amount of charge of any electrified body the principle is to compare the charge with a known standard charge and the standard is got from a battery of 100 small primary cells the atmospheric charge is obtained by placing a large copper bucket of water out of doors on an insulated stand if water is allowed to continually drop from the bucket the latter will become charged to the same potential as the surrounding atmosphere an insulated wire leads the charge indoors to the electrometer where its effect is compared with that of the standard charge the variation of effect gives moment to a small mirror which by means of a pencil of light traces its movements upon a photographic paper and in this way a rise and fall of electrical potential is recorded note the coates observatory at pesley scotland contains practically all the apparatus described in this chapter this splendidly equipped observatory was presented to the town by some of the thread magnets whose name it bears end of chapter 22